You are listening to the latest message from Bar None Cowboy Ministries in Omaha, Texas, where we don't care about your past, but care about your future. We thank you for joining us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Dwayne Higgins. Anybody bold enough to take that group out there? Quinn, you did a good job. You needed a microphone, though. I tell you what, I me. But um, I tell you what, I know a lot of churches probably wouldn't let these kids do this, but they've got to learn to be a part. Amen. They got to learn to be a part and feel like this is their their church too. And um, I hope you always allow them that privilege to do that because uh, they're worshiping just like you and I are. So. Uh, some of these songs may not be songs we know, but they're their songs. And uh, so he does a good job of rotating around. All right. Past couple of weeks, I've been talking about the seven realities of uh, that's found in Scripture based upon Henry Blackaby and, and uh, Claude King and what they did. Well, today we're going to look in Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 12 will be our illustration. We're going to actually talk about three of these truths today. The first one was what? God is what? Always working. He's always working around us. God is always reaching out with His plan of redemption. So that's a basic truth throughout Scripture, that God's always working in, in reaching out, in busy doing things, no matter where you're at. His his purpose and His will in the Spirit of God is working to draw people to Him. And so He's busy all the way around. The second one was, God desires what kind of relationship with people? A close relationship, a personal relationship. And that's a reality, folks. That And when you get to thinking about this, I want you to... And I don't know if you've ever sat down and thought about it. The God who created all things everything created by speaking it into being is chosen to have a relationship with you with you he allows you and I to have a relationship with him and to listen to us now a lot of times people take this out of hand and begin to to get it a little mixed up they they think that uh uh, that God's just there to, to uh, be your Santa Claus and to bail you out of a bind and do whatever. But He's the God of all creation and He desires a relationship with you and He wants you to know Him the same way He knows us. Folks, I don't know about you, but when I look into my life, I know me. And I am surprised that God would want to have anything to do with me. Because He knows my weakness. He knows my strengths. He knows when I've been good. He knows when I've been bad. He knows when I've been faithful. And He knows when I've been unfaithful. He knows what my heart is. Even though I may not do what my heart wants me to do. 
He knows all that and still, still wants that relationship with me. And that reminds me of a scripture that Paul wrote, that God commendeth His love towards us while we were yet sinners. And I thought, boy, that's just amazing to me. A holy and righteous God who created all things wanted me to know Him the same way that He knows me. So He wants us to be a part. Well, boy, that was short. They got everything took care of real quick, didn't they? <clears throat> and stuff, so. Uh, so anyway, well, today we're going to look at three. These three fit together. And the first one is God in that relationship will begin to invite you to be a part of what He's doing. Not only does He know you and want you to know Him, He's going to ask you to be involved. And He's going to want you to be a part of what He's doing throughout the world. So He invites you. It's not you inviting yourself, not you wanting to go, but the reality is God is always reaching out to you. Last week we talked about that no one can come to the Father unless God draws them to Him. And so we're going to look at that. And, and, and Blackaby uses a lot of characters like Moses and David and various ones. And I thought about it. I said, you know, a lot of times we look at these main characters within Scripture and we think, well, what about us common everyday people? Does God speak to us in that same way? Or is it just... The special one. Well, I chose somebody that was just a common everyday person that went through the exact same things that Moses went through, but they applied to him and him alone. His name was Lot. Now, Lot was a nephew of Abraham, but really Lot was never a major part of Scripture. He was kind of a bystander. He was just the nephew but yet, God shows us and teaches, and that's what I want to look at it, and I'm going to share with you these three things when we read this story. We find Him there in, the, in Sodom, and y'all, I think most of you heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened to them? Uh, God destroyed them, but why did God destroy them? They were filled with sinfulness and, and vile and evil. And so God had even shared this with Abraham and told him he was about to do that. And, and Abraham began to intercede with God and, and try to actually negotiate because he said, would you destroy it if there was 50 righteous people? And God said, no, if you find 50 righteous. And, and then Abraham continues to go on. He said, what if it was 40 or 30 or 20? He gets down to just a handful. He said, what if it were just five or six there? God said, well, I'll hold back. Well, there was none to be found because there was only one person that was righteous in all of, of Sodom. So judgment was about to come. And God sends two angels to reach out and to speak to Lot. Verse 12, it says, And then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this, this place. 
For we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So they come to Lot, and if you read the earlier passages of Scripture, how vile the people were. They wanted to have relationships with these angels. Uh, Lot had offered up his own daughters to them. They didn't want that. They wanted these men. It was They were dealing in that kind of relationship. And, uh, and so now the angels have pulled him back in, caused some of those to go blind. He said, now you go get anybody that's within your family structure. Now his sons-in-law, because of betrothal, they weren't married, but they were considered sons-in-laws because their daughters had not entered into the actual marriage relationship, but they were betrothed. So they were considered for a year to be a son-in-law even prior to the ceremony. So they were betrothed. So he said, go get them or anybody else. So Lot goes out to try to bring in the sons-in-laws and to bring them. How do they respond? Verse 14 says, And Lot went and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were to marry uh, his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to be uh, to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. They thought, Oh, you're crazy. You're ridiculous. This is nothing going to happen. They're, they were satisfied in there. So they're, they're already turning away from this warning that God's given to Lot. But Lot's struggling with some stuff himself. And when it talks about he seems to be jesting, it causes me to kind of wonder if Lot really believed this at this time or was he just kind of half skeptical? Because he didn't go in fear and trembling that his sons-in-law weren't able to really perceive and grasp this idea of the seriousness that was about to happen. We don't know. We're just trying to read between the lines here. But we know they didn't respond to that. But if we go on and read some more, uh, in verse 15, we'll begin to understand a little bit more about Lot. It said, uh, When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take up your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But look here in verse 16. But he hesitated. The warning is out. That is the invitation to join God and to be saved and to turn from this wicked place, move out of this place, and go to a place of safety. But right here we see that he hesitated. He didn't know if he wanted to give up the physical things. He didn't know if he wanted to give up this place of security. He was hesitant about doing what God's called him to do. Now that's a common thread throughout all the people that we see in the gospel and throughout the Bible, when God's inviting them, they tend to struggle a little bit. Moses struggled with it. Uh, Abraham struggled with it at times. Uh, just uh, even many of the disciples, when Jesus called them, they struggled with parts of that about, am I really ready for this? So it's a pretty common thread that when God's inviting you, you come to this place that's called the crisis of belief. Do you really understand and are you really willing to do what it takes to put yourself in the position where God wants you? <clears throat> now me and John 
We're the two old preachers that's been called and, and we've both shared with you at times in our testimony that when God called us to preach, there was a struggle there about whether we would answer that call. Our heart was there, but it was that struggle with, God, you sure you know who you're talking to? I know in my life it was a big struggle. God, there's other people out there better than me you could choose. And I couldn't really figure out why God... Now, I wanted to do whatever He wanted me to, but I struggled with that idea of preaching because it's like, God, I know me. So I was just kind of like Lot. I was hesitant. I, the heart was there, but, but I just wasn't for sure He could do what He was wanting me to do. That was my crisis of belief. And I struggled with that. And we know many of the characters within the Bible struggle with that. Lot's struggling with that. The problem was Lot didn't have a lot of time to deal with this because judgment's coming. So what did the angels do in verse 16? They grabbed hold of him and carried him out and began to lead him out because the compassion of the Lord was upon him and they brought him out and put him outside the city. So they got him out of the city almost immediately and drug him out. Sometimes I think God does that to us sometimes too when we're hesitant. He kind of gets a hold of you and drags you to a little bit and starts putting you there because you're struggling with your belief and, and that's our faith. This is where we grow in our faith. When you really get excited about serving the Lord, you're going to want to do things. But you're going to want to do where you're comfortable. You're going to want to serve Him in places that you feel like you can. And then you're going to think, well, I can't be a teacher. I can't do this. I, I, I don't do it. Folks, you can't, and you're right. But you've got to learn to make some adjustments because God can through you. I, I couldn't preach. Still can't. But God takes me and uses me. It's still not me. It's, it's, I just put it out there and say, God, just give me the words and let them land on fertile ground. Because I, I'm not the, what I would call a good preacher. But He planted me where He wanted me and He takes me baby and He uses me in spite of who I am. And He'll do the same with you if you will surrender and say, here I am. Here I am, send me, Lord. I'm available. That's what Isaiah had to do. The invitation was to him to go and serve him. And he said, who shall I send? And Isaiah said, well, here I am, Lord, send me. He wasn't capable, but he wanted to. He was willing. His crisis of belief. And when God's inviting you to be a part, he's going to invite you to do something that you don't feel like you're capable of doing. And you're going to struggle with it. That's a natural part of it. Lots going through this. But you have to come to that place in your life where you, you want to serve God so bad you're willing to do it even though you don't understand how. And that's when you begin to make an adjustment. That's that number third one. And that really, it's number five out of the seven. You're invited to be a part. You go through this crisis of belief where you hesitate. Then you make adjustment because Lot began to make adjustment. But as we read this story... He's still struggling a little bit because they tell him to escape to the mountains. Want him to go to the mountains. 
But Lot didn't want to go to the mountains. He was afraid to go up in the mountains area, possibly because of wild creatures there. He wouldn't know where he was going to stay or anything. So he, he begins to ask for permission to go to this next town, this town called Zor and, and stuff, because he, he, he's struggling because he's not quite there. And they allow him to go to this next village, which very likely may have been destroyed because it's in the valley. We don't know exactly where Sodom and Gomorrah is, but somewhere around the Dead Sea area. And, in, and this other little town of Zor was in there. And that is a very uh, long, narrow valley. It's only a, a few miles wide. You can stand in the middle at the Jordan River and you'll look up a mountainside on one side and you'll look up a mountainside on the other side. It's not real wide, no more than probably seven, eight, ten miles wide. So you can literally stand in the bottom. But in this area, he said this whole stretch was going to be destroyed. But because Lot wanted to go to Zor, it was protected even though he was supposed to flee up into the mountains and probably would have fleed to the west because he would more likely, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was on the western side of the Jordan River. And in that area, I can tell you because I've been there, is very desolate, rocky, and, and no one lives there even today. Uh, you couldn't raise cattle there. You could have a few goats and a few sheep because they can... I mean, the, the plant life is just almost non-existent. It's just, it would be like parts of Utah and the mountains there and the rocks and stuff. There's not a lot of grass. So he was afraid to go there, so he went on to this town called Zor. And they made a, a, allotments to him to, to do that. And so in his adjustment, they even got work there to change it a little bit. I tend to think if he'd went and done exactly what he was supposed to, the real blessing laid up in the mountains. The real blessing laid in the mountains. I don't know what it would have been, but if God was sending him, he had a purpose for him to go to the mountains. And that's where he wanted him to go. But he wouldn't. Because that's exactly the way we as humans are. We, we try to sell out about halfway through. We go through this period of time where God's inviting us to be a part we go through this crisis of belief and we begin to struggle. We begin to, to, to wonder about doing it and whether we would or not. And then we begin to respond to it and then we try to put limits on how much we let God do. And folks, the problem is the real blessings are really in the total fulfillment of following God. You believe that? I've watched people that didn't think they could do something like teaching. Oh, I'm not a teacher. I'm so, they weren't trained as a teacher. They they'd not had any college education. But I've watched them go in there and begin to teach children and watch them just bloom. Said, Man, this was good. I enjoyed it. I watched them listen and do things. And they begin to find the fulfillment of being obedient to God. I've watched people go and serve on the mission field. And people say, oh, I could never go and do that. I, my own daughter and, and son-in-law and, and my, four of my grandkids are serving. And I never wanted to stand between them and God because I knew they had to go do what God was calling them to do. 
And my job was to, to support them and encourage them to do that. And I've watched them. Uh, I'm proud of all of them because they, my kids have seen most of Europe. My grandkids have grown up seeing history that I've only read about or seen pictures of. They've seen biblical history. They've seen parts of scripture that, that were talked about in the book of Acts in the various places in the churches. They've seen it firsthand. They've met with other groups because they did what God's called them to do. But I have too because when I surrendered to preach, I began to realize God could do something with me that I never dreamed about. I went through a crisis of belief when God brought me back to Omaha to start this church. The easy way was not to, to do this. I mean, y'all on the good side of it. But some of you were there when we met out here under trees and when we met in my shop and, and we, we began to, to try to build. When you, you brought your own chairs, you brought your own heat. I mean, you didn't worry about the heater being on up here. You brought one if you wanted one. Larry went through some of that. You remember that Christmas when everybody brought, all of a sudden everybody's walking around carrying this little buddy heater and bringing their blanket. And they'd say, we'd sit around in a circle and they'd fire them little heaters up and it looked like we were going to a playoff basketball, uh, football game or something and sitting around. But we had Bible studies in this church and it, a day like today, we wouldn't lose more than three or four people. They would show up. 70, 80 people show up. And they came prepared. Gloves, coveralls, heater, blanket, toboggan. They were ready. And I thought there's places when people wouldn't go across the street to go to a church that's already warmed up. And this group is showing up ready. But we had to make some choices. And look what we've got today because of what God's done. Look at the lives that God's touched through this place. But we had to go through that invitation of God into the crisis of belief, making decisions to whether we were going to go or not go, and then make the adjustments to do that. Folks, that's the way God works in all of our lives each and every day. It doesn't matter if you're a newborn Christian or you've been saved for 40 years. He's going to always constantly invite you to be a part of something He's doing. He's going to ask you to deal with your, your unbelief, the, the, the struggles you're having, and then He's going to ask you to step out in faith and do it and make adjustments that you have to do. And that's where the real blessings begin to come because you begin to realize the God of the Bible is a real God, a personal God, and a God that's concerned about me and is concerned about you and He can cause me to do things that I never dreamed I could do. Folks, I'm standing up here and I've got, I could wallpaper, well, I can't hold it. I've got a wall with three diplomas on it. And when, I, when God called me to preach, I said, well, I need a little bit of education. And I, I kind of made a deal with God. I'm going to go and get me a, a, the associate degree, two years. That's all I need, God, just a little bit to get me done. Well, we got that done, and God said, mm, no, we need a little more than that. I fought and I struggled. We got the bachelor's, and I said, okay, I'm done. No, you're not, Dwayne. You see, he 
He's telling me, you need a little more. You... And when I got the Masters, I quit arguing with him. I said, whatever else, God, let's go ahead and get it done. But in my wildest dream, God took a guy that cheated his way through high school and showed me that I was smarter than I ever thought I was. He said, you can do this. You see, it wasn't the education as much as with the confidence that I was not the dumb, ignorant country boy I thought I was. That I could learn, I could study, I could come to the realization of the truth. And it's not about the, the diplomas. They, they, don't, they collect dust on the wall. But what he taught me was things that would stay with me forever. And the things that would allow me to learn that I never dreamed I could ever do. And if I had not made the adjustment in my life, I never would have. I had to be willing to go and do to reap the blessing of the reality of where God wanted me. But I had to make up my mind. Now, I, I've done my share of arguing. I was no different than Lot. Well, God, what's this? There, there was that associate. Let's, I'll do a little bit, God. I was going to Zor. And he just kept on. Oh, we're going to do a little more. All right, we're going to move out of Zor because eventually Lot moved out of Zor because that wasn't a good place. He ends up in the mountains where God carries him on. But see, God just kept working with him, moving him step by step. Same way he did with Moses and all the other great characters of the Bible. Step by step, he moved them from where they were into being right in the midst of his will. That's what He wants for you. But you've got to be willing to go and follow Him and step out because when He's laying on your heart a ministry or a position or something that needs to be done, the reason it's on your heart, He's inviting you to do that. He's not informing you to go let the preacher know that the church needs this. You know, you're not the messenger. You're not Gabriel to come say, hey, God needs this over here and He needs you to find somebody. If God's speaking to you about that, He's saying, you need to be the one that's doing this. You need to be a part of this. And you're the one I'm inviting into it. And then you come to that place of the crisis of belief. And you say, well, I, I can't do it, but I can go tell somebody and help God to find somebody. No, you just messed up. You failed right there because the crisis of belief is he's talking to you about doing it. And you've got to deal with that. And to do what he wants you, you've got to move from where you are to where you need to be. And you will never truly be happy until you move in that place of where you need to be and making an adjustment. I had to make a lot of adjustments through my life do away with a lot of things I loved and cared about. From the beginning when I got saved, I had to quit hanging out with certain people. I had to begin to witness and share things, overcome fear. I, my going into preaching, I had to, we sold a house, we sold all my equipment, we sold everything we had and loaded up the kids and went off to school. And I'm 36 years old. 
Man, that was an adjustment. I didn't like it when first 12 years, and I didn't think I was going to like it after that. But I found out the, the blessing was in the obedience and watching him work. And I've learned to realize, quit arguing, quit fighting. And when you come to that crisis belief, go ahead and put it behind you and go ahead and go do what he tells you because that's where the blessing lies. It's not in the crisis of belief. It's in the making the adjustment. And that's where we all have to come in our life is to make those adjustments and begin to move into those areas. And, and it's not a one-time deal. Folks, mine began with me beginning to stand up in discipleship training and, and take one passage of Scripture and, and, and talk to adults about it. That's where it began. When I got saved, I began to... to we, back then, we had what was discipleship training on Sunday night. The preacher, he, he was preaching three messages and trying to do that. And he said, I'm going to let y'all start doing it. Who wants to take this one passage? Boy, old hand went up. I said, I'll do it. I didn't have any idea what I was doing. My wife looked at me and she said, man, you done went nuts. You're bashful and won't stand up in front of anybody. But I began to do it. So I began to find out, hey, I, I, I could learn from that. I could study. Then I went to teaching RAs in there. Some of you know what RA, Royal Ambassadors. I could teach the kids. I could do that. They We'd be at place and they'd say, who wants to give her testimony? Man, I'd raise my hand. I knew I could do that. But he was growing me. I began to teach youth. Began to teach adults. But then I came to that big one. Being a preacher. But you see what I found out is all those little invitations led to starting something that God wanted way down the line. And I had to move step by step in each one of those positions to get to where he wanted me. And that's where I'm at today. I still go through it. But I've learned finally to quit struggling with the call and do what he calls me to do. Because that's the real blessing. So if he tells you, I want you to go somewhere, then be ready to go. At least go part way and begin to watch him work. Because that's the three main realities throughout this that lead. You know He's at work. You know He wants a relationship. But He wants you to be involved in the work. And he's going to speak to you and invite you. And when He does that, you're going to come to this crisis of belief. And when you deal with that in the way you should, you begin to make the adjustments to do that and to step into that. And those three areas right there is what takes you from being just a lame pew sitter into being actively involved in the kingdom's work. Okay? God wants you saved. He wants that relationship with you. But He doesn't want you just to sit around and just be the dog tick. You knew where that was coming from. The old dog tick we talked about. I'm just going to sit here and just feed off of everything else and just get it. And I'm not moving. He wants you to be actively involved in the work of the kingdom. Because He needs you to go do something 
And if for nothing else, just think about the blessing that's on the other side. Because the real reward and happiness is in that obedience. And when he does that with you and you do that, you'll find out the real blessings. Tanya, I'm thinking of you right now. How many years have you been doing the youth? Were you scared to death when you started? Yeah. You were an old person to lead these kids. Well, you were 10 years older now and you're still leading them. But have you been blessed through this ministry? Have you been blessed through it? Been disappointed a few times with some of the kids too. But see, you don't dwell on the disappointments because people are going to always disappoint. It's the blessing. I couldn't hear Quinn a bit back there in the back, but I knew she was singing every word. That's why we need a microphone with her. But I watch her and I watch so many of these other kids get up here and sing. And I say, praise God that we are people that will let these kids get up here and sing and not criticize because you know that those kids are going to come up one day and they're going to be praising God. And they may be the ones over helping us in and out of this church when we come up here. But you're, you grow in them in their walk so that they'll be much more than they ever could be because you let them be a participant in the kingdom's work. And as they participate, they will not have the struggles that a lot of people do. They won't be that dog tick sitting around just feeding. They're going to be wanting to be involved in it. And that's what it's all about. That's what anything's about. And you'll never get that blessing if you just sit there and say, oh, somebody needs to go do that. Man, if we were waiting on somebody to go do it, the Israelites still would have been in Egypt. Because that somebody was invited and that somebody had to respond to the invitation. He didn't want to. Lot didn't want to. So the big or the small all are, go through the same steps. And that's what I wanted to bring out about Lot. He was not this main character within the Bible, but he was a part of the kingdom. And he went through the same steps that Moses went through. David or so many others, he went through those same steps because that's a natural tendency. God's going to invite you to be a part. You're going to go through the what? What's the next one? Crisis of belief. That's your struggle. And then you're going to make what? You're going to make the adjustments to be where you need to be. So there's five of the seven right there. But the key is in these three. That's the day right in the middle. Because the real blessings in the next two is because you respond to these three. I thought about trying to preach these three individually, but, but no, it's something we need to do. We need to see God's inviting me. I'm going to struggle with it, but I'm going to work through it and I'm going to follow through and make the adjustments. I'm going to do that and that's where the blessing is. So when you get these three you move from being a chair sitter or just 
just a name on a roll to being actively involved in the kingdom. And the blessings come when you start seeing somebody respond to what you are doing and the blessings you're doing. This food train or whatever, that's a good start. Don't just prepare food but say, hey, I've got some time. I can deliver the food. I can take it up there and I can spend 30 minutes with them and talk with them and get to know them. And you'll find out you're learning something about somebody. And you'll want to do more and more of it. Because the, the worst part about a food train is everybody wants to cook, but they want one person to take all the food up there. And they want to do it all the time. Well, you're just robbing yourself of a blessing. Because you need to make some adjustments where you say, hey, I'll do it at least once. I'll find out where they live and I'll carry the food this time. And I promise you, if you ever do that, nine times out of ten, you'll want to go back. Because you'll meet somebody and you'll fall in love with them and you'll want to be close to them. So that's your invitation. If you have a burden about teaching, helping with the youth or the children or any other aspect of this church, that's your invitation to be involved in that. You just got to make up your mind. I'm going to go ahead and do it and get out there and learn something about it. And that's when you'll be blessed, okay? So those three right there. Number three is, the, what's the first one we talked about? God what? I'm trying to get you repetition. He invites us. Hey, take your finger. He invites me to be a part of what he's doing. I'm going to have a crisis of belief because I don't feel like I can do it. I'm going to struggle. You don't have to use crisis of belief. You can use, that's my struggle. That would be the next one. But I'm going to go do it anyway. That's a redneck term. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to do that because God's invited me to be a part. And that's when you find the blessing. So try to remember those three in whatever terms you want because it'll make a difference in your life. And that's why that study has changed so many people's lives because he brought out these realities. And when they applied that to their life, they became actively involved in the work of the kingdom. And that's what makes a church a true church. I'm going to throw a little figure out there as we close. Almost time, but um, most of the support and work is done by 20% of people in the church. Most of the work is done by 20%. What would happen if 80% did the work? How much more work could be done? You see, we're always looking for somebody else to go visit or go see or go do. And we think the church ought to do that. Well, let me tell you this. You are the church. You're the church. So if you think the church ought to go do that, then you say, I'm one of them. I can go do it. And I'll find somebody that's not doing something and I'll drag them with me. And the next thing you know, you've started a ministry that you'll fall in love with and you'll be doing it. And the church will be doing it. 
because it's you being a part of it. But the human nature is, I'm going to sit back and relax and just point out who needs to go do what. We don't need a lot of supervisors. We need a lot of people that can go work and rise. If the church needs to do it, I'm going to be the part of the church that's going to go do it. Because that is God inviting you into that. Because He showed you and He's pointing it out so that you can be a part of it. And that's when you'll go through your little crisis of belief. Now, let's take a hatchet. I want y'all to go ahead and stand up. Y'all need some blood in your feet before you go walking around. Father, thank you for such a wonderful group of people. People that are committed to being here and being a part of this work that you're doing. But help us all, Father, to move beyond where we're at into to the blessing side of doing what you want us to do. May we not let our fears or our own personal decisions interfere with doing what you called us to do. May we move beyond that and realize that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do anything. Whatever you've called me to do, I can do because of the work that you're doing in my life. And I pray that we would be the, uh, the oddball in the churches. That instead of 20% doing all the work, we'll be the 80% doing all the work with the other 20% coming along learning to do it. So that we all realize we've got a responsibility in the kingdom's work. So where everybody that's here, I pray your blessing be upon them. But you speak to them this week about something they can do to impact this community. In some way, some form, or some fashion that they can make a difference in one, two, or three people's lives. And we don't have to change the whole community in hordes, but we change it one and two people at a time. But when all of us begin to make a difference in a handful of people, the next thing you know, the whole community is changed. And that's what we want to be. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Y'all going to make a difference in the world. We thank you for listening to Bar None Cowboy Ministries in Omaha, Texas. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. We are located on Highway 259 just south of the four-way in Omaha. You may also find us on Facebook or the web at barnonecowboyministries.com, a place where we don't care about your past, but care about your future.